May the peace of our Lord be with you. Purple stands for preparation. Is a phrase that most of our Northminster preschoolers could tell you. The liturgical colors each have such a phrase. Green stands for growth. White stands for celebration. Red stands for the Holy Spirit, and purple stands for preparation. These are things I didn't learn as a child, but as an adult at this lovely little church on the corner of Ridgewood and Eastover. Now, I say them often in classrooms and on retreats and even on Zoom calls. Just last week, I said something like, it's Lent. What color represents Lent? Purple. And what does purple stand for? Preparation. And what are we preparing for? And there were crickets. Hmm. What are we preparing for? In today's gospel lesson, the temple is in a moment of preparation. Preparation for Passover. Jesus has traveled down to Jerusalem from Capernaum, a 118-mile trip that would have taken four or five days. We haven't been given information about what Jesus did when he arrived in Jerusalem. Perhaps he found a place to stay and took a nap, or put on a clean tunic and washed his road-worn feet. Maybe he found his way, wound his way through Jerusalem and straight to the temple, arriving at the outer courtyard, a space for those who could not enter the temple themselves. Because it was almost the time of Passover, everyone would have been there preparing. So the courtyard would have been very crowded. Jesus' eyes would have taken in people and livestock, money and tables. He probably smelled livestock and heard the bleeding of sheep or the whistling wings of doves. Perhaps his attention was drawn to the sound of clattering coins. Maybe people and animals bumped into tables and each other and even him as they made their exchanges and purchased and prepared to enter the temple. Perhaps those unable to enter the temple found a quiet place to pray. For some reason, one not yet given to us in the Gospel of John, Jesus made a whip of cords and began to drive the sheep and the cattle out of the temple. And that's where, when I read these, this passage, I begin to have questions. He made a whip. Were the supplies for a whip just like laying around? Jesus poured out the coins of the money changers and flipped over their tables to boot. Did people begin to crouch down to avoid the whip? Did others scatter in fear? Did the disciples help herd the animals out or stand by wondering what they had gotten themselves into? 
John places this story at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, which means that the disciples had really just started following Jesus. Jesus told the folks selling the doves to stop. Did he raise his voice or speak in a seething whisper? How long did all of this take? Did the cleansing feature the whole courtyard or only some part of it? How angry was Jesus? And how did the people watching respond to that? I'm not sure that I would have responded well to the display of anger. I have such an aversion to anger that my Bible literally has a hole in this morning's gospel lesson. As the spectacle begins to wind down, the religious authorities enter the story. Did they surround Jesus so that he couldn't cause further destruction? Or did they stand at a safe distance? Did they think he was delusional or possessed by a demon? They ask, what sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answers them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The temple had been under construction for 46 years, and Jesus will raise it in three days? The gospel writer gives us the briefest explanation. Jesus is speaking of his body and not the temple. But we are still left with many questions. Did the animals just run wild in the streets? Did the money changers come back to their work the next day? What made Jesus so angry? Why wasn't he taken into custody immediately? And for those of us reading the passage today, what sort of bridge can we build from this story to our own lives? Because we find today's gospel lesson in the book of John, we can be fairly certain that there isn't one simple answer to that question. This gospel writer is known for adding layers of theological complexity to his writing, and today's pericope is no exception. The Passover was arguably the most important day on the temple calendar. People traveled for days to arrive in Jerusalem for the celebration and could not be expected to bring the livestock necessary to make their sacrifices in the temple. Even if they could get the animals there, the odds of getting them there without blemish were pretty slim. Furthermore, the Greek and Roman coin needed to be traded for coins suitable for the temple. Those who sold livestock and exchanged coins were simply doing the job necessary to prepare for the Passover. Was it this entire scene that angered Jesus? The courtyard defined a boundary for those who were able to worship God in the temple and those who were not. Though the sights and sounds were necessary for the sacrificial system of the temple, did it have to happen in the courtyard itself? Some believe Jesus witnessed would-be worshipers being shortchanged by those who were exchanging coins and selling animals. 
This is made clearer in the Synoptic Gospels account, where Jesus is recorded saying that the house of prayer has become a den of robbers. Does this exploitation spark the anger we see in Jesus' action? A year ago, we were preparing in our sacred space for Easter. We had entered our second week of Lent when the world began to shut down around us. And by the third week, we had gone to worshiping almost fully through the live stream. In this now full year of Coronatide, we have been forced to refine our understanding of sacred space. We have learned to worship apart and together. Our shared sacred space is not defined by walls, but by the unity of the spirit. And though we've known that all along, we've practiced it every week of this last year. And still, today's gospel lessons call us to consider our sacred space. Have we pushed those on the margins even further out with figurative animals and money changers? Are there barriers that we have set up in our relationship with God? What tables do we need to turn over? Busyness or self-importance? Self-loathing or complacency? What keeps us from finding a quiet place pray? What stands in the way of our pursuit of a deep and abiding relationship with God, who is ever-present with us? Where have we invaded the sacred spaces of others and set up shop? Who have we pushed to the margins by placing imaginary boundaries around a God who loves all people? Where must we turn over the table for others? When is it okay to respond in anger? In today's reading from Exodus, we have heard the Ten Commandments. I don't remember where I first heard it, but I've always appreciated the idea that the Ten Commandments can be put into two groups that reflect the greatest commandment. Some direct us toward loving God, and the rest direct us toward loving our neighbor. A helpful frame for considering the Ten Commandments, and a helpful frame for considering our emotions. We get to feel what we feel, but how we respond matters. I've said those words of wisdom so many times to one of my children that she now quotes them back to me. We get to feel what we feel, but how we respond matters. When anger, sadness, joy, grief, fear, and more well up within us, we can choose to respond in a way that loves God and loves others. Jesus acts with courage and wisdom when anger rises up within him in today's gospel lesson, and he shows love to those on the margins. Jesus responds with a quiet word to the disciples when he is angry at them for keeping children away 
and he shows love to the children. When Lazarus dies and is raised, Jesus responds to the grief and sadness with both tears and power while showing love to his grieving friends. When Jesus is facing the cross, he responds to his fear with prayer and by asking his friends to stay close and by walking the road to death with love. I'm convinced that Jesus even had jokes and maybe that's how he responded to joy. Who else would send his disciples on a mission with the instructions to wait for it, stay there until you leave? He had jokes and he sent his disciples with love. Jesus demonstrated that there are many ways to respond to the things we feel that demonstrate love for God and love for others. And as Jesus's followers, we can choose to respond that way too. It isn't easy. And Lent is as good a time as any for us to practice. The purple path is one rooted in taking up and putting down so that we might more fully follow the God who calls us to love. The quiet, reflective space of Lent has given us a chance to see our shared, sacred space anew and an opportunity to examine the courtyard of our own soul. Lent is a season of preparation for each of us and for all of us. What are we preparing for? We are preparing for Easter, a celebration of the resurrection. Jesus' body was rebuilt in three days, just as Jesus said it would be. The home of the transcendent, Debbie Thomas says, is not a courtyard, a parapet, or an altar. Rather, God resides in a different kind of temple altogether, the temple of Jesus' own body, a human body, much like our own, that ate and slept, rejoiced and grieved, walked and talked, made peace and got angry. A human body just like ours that was also a holy place. After a year of being unable to gather here all together, that in itself is good news. In Lent and in our lives, we are preparing our bodies, preparing our holy place, preparing to respond with love. What are we preparing for? The simple answer is Easter, and eventually one of the children will blurt it out on Zoom. Easter, and there is usually a smile. Maybe it's because they finally remembered the answer, or maybe the words remind them, the word reminds them of the celebration to come. Or maybe they, like Jesus, let the joy spring up within them, and their smile is a response 
of love. Amen.